Welcome, everybody, to another One Club United European podcast, episode four. Now, in episode four, we are hitting the quarterfinal stages where we're starting to see teams progress into the quarters now. Of course, we've still got a few more games to play in the round of 16, but obviously over the course of the last week or so, um, we've obviously still had a few games remaining from the um, tables, which you obviously need to go through quickly. Um, there'll be D, E and F. And then we can start talking about the round of 16 games that have happened. In, and obviously, we're going to start giving you a little taste of what's to come in the quarterfinals. Um, so it won't just me be on this podcast today on my own. I will be introducing Ryan shortly. There's a few technical hiccups from him. So he'll be joining us very shortly. Uh, but I also have, so the match of the day is obviously back this week. And that will be, oh, here's Ryan now. Hi, Ryan. Can you hear us? Yep, all good. How are you, Josh? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Just a few technical difficulties, but it should all be sorted now. Yeah, no worries. It's great to have you here. Um, so just before we get into the match today, of course, you were at the England-Czech Republic game. Um, I believe it was on Wednesday. How did you find that? It was an incredible experience to just be back in a stadium since, uh, you know, COVID and everything else that, that's transpired. The the game overall wasn't obviously the best of matches, but just the atmosphere, the roar of the crowd, everything about it was just an amazing day. A day I'll definitely never forget. Yeah, it was um, it was one of those games really. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, it was just great to obviously be able to get the win in progress into the next round, really. Um, was that your first game back since, like, COVID started, really? Or have you been to any since? Um, well, I... Well, my dad's got a season ticket at Arsenal, so I was going to games before COVID. My last game was, before the, that England one, was West Ham at home, which was the last full-capacity match before yeah. everything shut down. So, yeah, March of 20, 2020. And then, yeah, that was my first game in a, back in the stadium was the England game. And, of course, you uh, vlogged that for your channel as well. What was it like vlogging it? Was it quite a... Um challenge because you sort of round more people than you would be at home doing your streams how was that like it was very it was it was different for sure it's something i've always wanted mm. to try out um the yeah. guy i was actually going with was doing some stuff for a uh, social media company so it kind of made it easier that we okay. work on the same wavelength a little bit um yeah it's something i'd really like to continue next season if possible but yeah very very different but I actually enjoyed doing it because it means I can actually go back and relive the experience that I yeah, actually yeah. did live. So Yeah, I, I did watch it. I, I really enjoyed it, actually. It's, it's always nice just I to did. see like a behind the scenes of like the whole day. Um, and obviously, you can't show much of the game. Obviously, people can watch the game on live on TV, but it's nice just to see behind the scenes and, you know, around the ground, the travel, the build-up and everything like that. Um, just for a heads up, though, if people do want to watch your um, vlog, where can they watch it? Um, that's True Guna Football or True Guna um, for short on YouTube. Excellent stuff. Um, yeah, so obviously, if you want, want to see a behind look, um, see Ryan doing his first vlog, obviously, go check that out on his channel. Um, but getting straight into the Euro Tour, we are starting today with match of the day, which is France versus Switzerland. Um, what have you thought about France this tournament, Ryan? Now, I don't feel like they've been as, you know, as big as a threat as we've probably seen in previous tournaments. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Josh. To be honest, I, I don't think they have really 
sparked into life yet. But what I would say is, I think based on what we have seen over the last couple of days with the knockout games, is that once it gets to knockout football, it's completely different to the knockout stages. So maybe France might click into gear now we're into the knockout mm. stages. I think. Yeah, I, I feel like you see that with a lot of teams. I feel like you probably might see that with Germany. Um, you know, we saw that with Spain today. We'll obviously talk about it in a little bit. Um, but yeah, the, the France team, you know, you don't need to win pretty in these games because it's like one one leg, basically. And if you win that, you go through to the next round. So you don't have to play the most attractive style of football. Um, of course, they brought Karim Benzema in. Do you think, obviously, he scored two goals um, against Portugal, what do you feel like his um, effect on the game has been? Because I must say he's got an incredible touch on him, first touch. Well, I think one of the key reasons why the French have decided to go with a back three today is, from what I've read, is that they want to try and get the, the front three of Mbappe, Griezmann and Benzema all playing together and connecting better going forward. And that's something they have kind of struggled with in the group. So, his impact so far, I don't think it's been great, but it takes a while to connect with players because it, it might as well be a new signing for France because he's not he's been not in that team for six, seven years, different players to play with. It's not, it's mm. not like Real Madrid where he's used to playing with these players. And you'd almost think Giroud would be a better fit in his French team because he's, they're so used to his style of play and how he plays going forward. Yeah, yeah, you can see Jury on the bench. You've also got uh, Wissam Ben Yedder on the bench, who's obviously a very good and done a very good season at Monaco. You've got so many different options they can bring off up front and they're attacking. Uh, you, you know, they had Tolisso out on the right, though, didn't they? I think against Portugal, even though he started on the right, even though he slipped into midfield. And I don't feel like it quite worked for him. Um, were you able to watch the France Portugal game at all? France Portugal, yes, yes. I watch that game um yeah it was um it didn't really work for them that's for sure but i think one thing that's that's been key in this tournament and something that we've missed so much in the premier league is the impact of the, of the fans in the in the stadium and how it mm-hmm. can really really boost the team not specifically france but just other in for other teams like for example hungary and how well they did despite being knocked out of the tournament but I think the, the fans in the ground are really helping boost players, boost teams going forward, I think, in this tournament. Yeah, I think like it's really refreshing, isn't it? Because obviously they didn't have them at all throughout the season. And I feel like if you're going to go in underdogs into a game, having the fans behind you to push you to like the last few minutes of the game is something that's really beneficial for, for the players. Um And, you know, Switzerland, I feel like they might need that in this game. Obviously, Switzerland are probably going up in this... Probably not favourites. France most likely going to be favourites in this game. But Switzerland do have a really solid team. You know, Shakiri. some reason. Can you make out why Shakiri plays really well for Switzerland and not for Liverpool? I think he, well, he definitely gets more opportunities. He's, he's almost, he's the main man for Switzerland. He's the man that, that they rely on. And with Liverpool, he's more of a backup if needed, obviously, under Jurgen Klopp. But one thing I do want to say about Switzerland is they'll, if... I was a Switzerland player. I would look at the Czech Republic Netherlands score. You look, you look at that mm. kind of result. You see Croatia's battle with Spain earlier on today, which I'm sure we will get into. And yeah. they'll think it's knockout football. Ninety minutes, hundred twenty minutes. 
it's a game of football and if you turn up who knows what's going to happen they'll definitely be motivated i think by what's happened over the last couple of days um so yeah we'll, we'll keep, obviously keep you up to live date with that game as we go through the podcast um and you know hopefully it's a really entertaining game to give you there so moving into the next part of the podcast today and that was of course the third round and the start of the last 16 fixture results of the last week And as we have it here, so in Group D, Croatia were three and Scotland one. Vlasic, Modric and Perisic scoring for Croatia and McGregor scoring for Scotland. Obviously, Scotland were unable to progress out of Group D. Czech Republic nil, England one with Raheem Sterling scoring. What have you made of Sterling this tournament, Brian? He's been a bit of a weird one for me, Joshua. It's... Because he he puts himself in the in a in a good position so many times, but he he misses so many himself. But you can't argue he's been the only one to score for for England. <laughs> but yeah, he misses. Yeah, he puts himself in so many. It almost reminds me of Ara Morata a little bit. I mean, I even know he scores today, but he puts <laughs> yeah. himself in the right place all the time. Nine times out, maybe four out of the five chances he won't score, but then he has ended up scoring the one. So. You can't complain too much when when you see someone who's scored, but I think there's that yeah. frustration where you think, can a Sancho do better or can a Saka do better? Things like that, you know? Yeah, like, you know, he gets you the goals. So I feel like he could have so many more. He's, I find like That's his it. final touch or his final sort of decision-making hasn't, hasn't been quite great. And I think we've seen that throughout the season at Man City. Um you know, there's previous seasons where he's done extremely well and then this season he sort of dropped off. Um, he wasn't selected a lot. So I think that was sort of, you know, why was Southgate playing Sterling? But, you know, he's obviously, he's not let England down as such. So, and he's sort of showing his faith in Southgate for picking him because he's pretty much on dropple because he's the only player who's actually scored us a goal. Um, yeah. You know, we've only scored two goals, probably not enough really. Um, but if you haven't got Harry Kane firing, at least you've got Sterling um, making a run because, you know, he's a really quick player and he's like, he's a threat, isn't he, to any fullback? Especially if a fullback wants to bomb forward and you've got, you've got to get back because Sterling's attacking, um, you're probably not going to be able to get back. So I feel like he's been a real, real threat for us. And, um, you know, maybe he'll be the player that can um, score against Germany and hope us get through from them. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he, how he plays that game. Um, but obviously England topped that group uh, with Croatia in second and the Czechs progressing in third spot. Group E, we had Slovakia nil, Spain five. This was the game where Spain exploded and they looked really good. Um, Dubravka own goal, Laporte, Sarabia, Torres and Akuka own goal. Sweden three, Poland nil. This was a really good game with Forsberg with two. Lewandowski with two and Clayson in the 93rd minute scored that for Sweden to make them um, finish top of their group with Spain finishing in second. Uh, did you watch this game at all? Is that Spain-Sweden, did you say? Uh, um, the Sweden-Poland yeah, game. Oh, sorry, Sweden-Poland. Um, in Poland. I don't, I don't think I did watch that game, to be honest. Um, yeah, it, it was a pretty good game, to be honest. You know, Lewandowski finally was turned up Um and nearly helped Poland into like a draw, maybe a win. Um, but Sweden have looked really good. I was really surprised with how, how Sweden performed. You know, they didn't have Ibrahimovic, who picked up an injury, but Isaac's coming, done really well. And, you know, Forsberg, he was, I think he was mentioned in the World Cup a few years ago. He had a really good World Cup. 
Um, but he never got a big club move. He, I think he's at, um, is he RB Ar- Leipzig? I think Forsberg is at. You know, he's not. Yeah, I think he is. I think he's with Danny Olmo there, and um, you know he, he doesn't get played. He doesn't get played as much. He's on the bench a lot of the time, but maybe this is where he deserves a big move because he seems to be carrying Sweden, scoring the goals for him from midfield. Um, so yeah, Sweden definitely a team to keep an eye out on because I think they're um, an underdogs. But as we've seen uh, in in the World Cup, they got to the quarterfinals against England. They put up a really good fight. So they could be one of those teams that go all the way. Uh, moving into Group F, we had Germany 2, Hungary 2, Havertz, Goretzka, and... Oh, I can't pronounce this guy's name. I think it's Salai, Salai and Schaefer. There's, that was another good game, Ryan. Right? Hungary were able to pick up a point. Uh, and, you know, they sort of just made their nation proud, really, picking up a point against Germany, a point against France. You know, they got they got a few players in there, Orban... Um, they have the RB Leipzig goalkeeper as well. So, yeah, what, what, what do you think of Hungary? Do you feel like they'd be happy with the results they had, even though they pick up a win? Well, obviously, on, on paper before the tournament, I don't think many people saw Hungary getting a single point at all. And when it came to the yeah. end of their group, they probably could have thought that they were a bit unlucky not to at least get third or second because. Against Germany, yeah. what they were five, six minutes away from beating Germany and knocking them out. Like, yeah, there was a chance was... where they were going to progress, weren't they? You know, that yeah, they a, a real, real. When twice was... they took the lead. Yeah, that, that the group just went from back to front so quickly. I think there was one for about fifteen minutes. It could have been England versus Hungary on Tuesday. It's in England yeah, versus Germany. They they were showing the groups live. And then it ended up being the same as it was before the match started. But yeah, I think yeah, Portugal I were getting think, knocked out at one point. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely incredible. It just proves that, you know, you, with football, it's so unpredictable. This is why we love football, because it's so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. You could, I mean, even with the score right now, France and Switzerland won. Like, you just, anyone can beat anyone if they turn up. It's great. And it's, and it's just, you know, I think sometimes people complicate because at the end of the day, it is only a game of football. You know, you're not playing against a bunch of people of special power or, or whatnot. It's just if you turn up on the day and you give 100%, you, you never know what's going to happen, really, there. Um, and obviously, in, in Group F as well, we had the Portugal France game that finished 2 2. That was where Ronaldo scored two goals and Benzema scored two. Uh, and this was the game where Ronaldo equaled Ali Dye's 109 international goal record. Um, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to break that in this tournament, but I'm pretty sure, we're both pretty confident, I reckon, that he'll break that probably in the next few games for Portugal. Well, then, um, go on then, Ryan. I was going to say, he's got well, he's probably got one more tournament in him. He got the World Cup next year, so he's most likely going to do mm. it there. Yeah, I'm sure he'll want to get it done before that goes to pressure mounds up on him. Um, but it's, it's in, he's incredible, isn't he? At 36, he's still able to produce the numbers he does. Uh, he's just a role model thing for all young players to look at. That if he can work as hard as he can work, um, you'll have a great, hopefully you'll have a successful career, but also as well, your longevity in the game will just be a lot longer than the players who don't quite keep their fitness up to the standards of what they need to be at when you're getting an older age in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
Um, France topped that group as well, with Germany and Portugal finishing second and third place, respectively. And then just moving on to a few of the rounds of 16 games that have already happened. Denmark 4, Wales 0. Obviously knocking Wales out of the Euros with Dolberg getting two goals, Miley and Braithwaite, and Harry Wilson with a red card. And we have a review of that coming up very shortly, so we'll get into that in a bit more detail soon. Um, Italy 2, Austria 1, Chiesa, Pessina and Kalajic for Austria scoring. All three goals came in extra time as well, so that was a really, really good game. Uh, you know, when Italy got one and then they got a second, you were thinking, yeah, Italy are probably going to easily win this now. And then Austria came back in the 114th minute to pull one back just to give you a six minutes left of exciting, of an exciting game. So that was a really good watch. Um, Netherlands nil, Czech Republic two. So this was a very big shock. Hollis and Sheik getting the goals with the with a red cards. Did you see this happening, Ryan? Absolutely. What a weird game of football. I mean, I would argue the Czechs were still were very much in the game at eleven versus eleven. But when the red card happened, they just showed it was almost a masterpiece of how to beat a team that's down to ten men wasn't it really because mm. so a lot of people always say it's sometimes harder to beat 10 men but they they literally just showed how to beat 10 men despite being the underdog still they just absolutely relentless go forward and to be honest it probably could have been more than two i think yeah yeah they just sort of put the pressure on didn't they and just didn't let holland or netherlands get a you know get a hold of the game as what they did have before that the lit red card definitely changed it um, I think did you see his red card? I think he saw handballed it and stopped it and stopped the goal goal scoring opportunity or something, I believe. But I think yeah, it was a straight red. Yeah, he was um it was a bit of a weird one because I think the lip was kind of he was in the wrong position and he lost his balance. And as he's gone to ground, of course, I, I can't remember the check. It might have been Sheik that was going forward. I can't actually remember the yeah. it was. Yeah. But of course, if he hadn't handled the ball. The Czech Republic striker would have potentially been in a goal, which would have, you know, because he handballed it. That's why they gave the red card. A lot of people saying it was harsh. I think it was a red card personally, because it was, it was like a natural reaction. Obviously, sometimes when you're going towards the ball, you're falling on it. You sort of move it with your hands. One of the natural movements of the hand, or do you feel like he's per- potentially, you know, purposely moved it with his hand? Well, yeah, I think he's purposely because you can see as he's going down, instead of him his hands going straight to the floor, he's moved his arm towards the ball to stop it from mm. the Czech player from going in on goal. So, I mean, he's a very young defender as well as of course. So you could argue that was probably inexperience on his part. Quality centre half, but his age, I think, his inexperience probably got the best of him there. Yeah, of course, he's about 21, 22, isn't he now? Because he's yeah. come through the Ajax Academy, now at Juventus. Uh, probably got a really good um, career ahead of him as well, so I'm pretty sure this won't knock his confidence for too long. And um, he'll be back stronger than ever. Obviously, he would normally be part of Van Dijk as well, so you know, I think Netherlands would have been a lot more of a solid at the back if they had him in the side. Um, moving on to the Belgium-Portugal game. Belgium won this 1-0 with Forgan Hazard scored a really nice goal from outside the box. Um, this game was a really, really interesting second half, I feel, more more so than the first half. Portugal pushed and pushed. Um, they couldn't, unfortunately, find the equaliser. They hit the post. Um, they went close so many times. 
They probably, I think Portugal probably pretty much disappointed with the result, though. We've only conceded one, not been able to score against them. I did feel like Ronaldo had a massive, a lot of service in that game. And I feel like they were quite disappointed with that. And of course, we have today's result as well, which was Spain 5, Croatia 3. And this is an absolutely brilliant game to watch. Probably one of the games of the tournament so far. With a Gonzalez own goal, Orsic Pasalic, with Sarabia, Azucreta, Torres, Morata, and Yazabel scoring for Spain. And uh, this game went to extra time. And uh, Ryan, how good was this game to watch? Well, I don't really know where to start. I was watching this game knowing that I was coming on tonight, and I was thinking, well, I could say, well, Spain have done good because of this, and it all was like Croatia. Well, I missed, I missed Croatia's second goal. I went up to do. Um, to make my dinner, came back down, it was 3-2 and it was just a classic example of especially for Croatia, they just took their chances, didn't they? Spain had all these chances, particularly yeah. in the first half a moment of madness really, between I think it was Ped- Pedri, was it? and uh, Spanish goalkeeper I'm not sure if it was Busquets, it might have been Pedri, it was quite a yeah, I think they put it down to Pedri's own goal, so that's, that's the only reason why I'm, I'm assuming it was Pedri. But okay. credit, to, okay. credit to Spain, because unlike the Dutch, they didn't let that sort of situation get to them. They they fought mm. back. And despite, of course, I think the, the biggest question marks with Spain will probably be their defence after today. Not, not going at the start of the tournament, everyone was talking about Spain can't score. And now it is they can <laughs> yeah. score and they just need to sort out the defence. So it's just trying to find that right balance, I think. But Croatia, full credit to them as well for putting in a great performance. But defensive shambles. But, I mean, it was very entertaining the neutral, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, because they've obviously now scored 10 goals in two games. And obviously yeah. they sort of had a slow start to the tournament. And now they've probably scored, you know, probably one of the most goals in the tournament so far. So it's been really weird for Spain. They're quite free-flowing side. Um, but, you know, I, I don't understand the defence, though, because at least they had, they had Laporte back there, obviously an experienced defender at Man City. Um, Pau Torres just won the Europa League. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still a bit shocked that Ramos or PK weren't in the side, to be honest. Just to, prov- just to you know, they got that experience. They still play at the high level. Um, obviously, Ramos would normally have been captain as well, so he would obviously just be a much more of a leader at the back there. But, but like you say, they Croatia bringing it back to 3-3 free free and then Spain to you know, pick themselves up. Croatia did have a few more chances, you know, to make it 4-3. Um, but, you know, they sort of dug in well and they were able to get a two extra two-goal lead um, ahead of, over Croatia. And they were able to pick up the win. Do you feel Spain might not, you know, do you think that they can go to the final and potentially win it this year, like we've seen on previous years? Or do you feel like maybe their defence will just come up a little bit short? Well, I think that today will, will especially going forward, will uh, attack him. I think with the fact that now Morata's finally scored is a big boost for them because I think that mm. the one thing that Spain have missed is a goal-scoring striker. This is the amount of chances Morata yeah. had today. If they had a Lavadoski there or someone like that, just to, that they could feed into the box, but they would, I would say they could get to the final. But I just think that the amount of chances that they've missed today, despite scoring five, I think up against a, I can't even say France right now because they're losing one nil, but 
<laughs> for example, like a France or even an England or a Germany, they still would have to take those chances, I think, in order to get through those teams. They're a very, very young team as well, aren't they? So mm, I think yeah. they might be looking towards the World Cup. But I mean, who knows? This tournament's been so unpredictable. Who knows what can happen? It, it just a few thoughts on Morata. He's a weird striker, really, because he's obviously he's, he's got a really good ability. He's got fabulous ball control. Um, really good at dribbling, got pace, got the height. He's sort of that all-round striker and he's played at big clubs, like he's played at both Madrid teams, um, he's played at Chelsea, he's at Juventus, so he's constantly getting these big big club moves. Um, but he's sort of, he's like a confidence player, isn't he? He sort of, if he doesn't have the confidence, he doesn't perform well and when he does have a bit of confidence and the fans are behind him, he seems to perform really well. Um, I think he's actually come out and said that before when the fans get on his back within the stadium, it actually piles a lot of pressure on him and he's able to not perform. Do you, do you feel like they're... Obviously, I think they're probably going to stick with Morata now, but obviously we've seen in previous years, they've actually had no striker and that's how they actually previously won the... I think it was the World Cup, if I remember correctly. They didn't actually have a striker on the pitch. Um, do you feel like Spain just struggled to sort of develop any strikers? I remember David Veer, they had Diego yeah, Costa... Mm, Fernando Torres. Fernando Torres as well. David, like as you mentioned, David Villa um, before the injury had a Barcelona, of course. Um, mm. Yeah, this it's a. I, I do think that goal for Morata today because it was a it was a great finish. Um, it was a good. I finish. think as as you mentioned, him being a confidence player, I think that goal could do wonders for him going forward, and he, maybe he could be a bit more clinical. All it takes sometimes for a striker is to, to take that one chance. Or to take, that one chance, the weight's lifted off their shoulders and they can just go out and play, I think. Yeah, and they've got so many creative players on, in their side that he's obviously going to get more than one chance. So he's quite lucky in that sense. Um, and yeah, if he just keeps his composure, you know, he could be the player that helps Spain reach the final. So it's, it would be nice to see if he, could, if he can keep that form up and, you know, sort of carry the side to, to the final. I think that'd be really good for his confidence, especially going into the new season. Um, so next up, though, guys, we do have the Wales and Denmark review. So this is in-game review. So we have Wales nil, Denmark four. Obviously, we as we said before, Dolberg with two, Miley with one, and Braithwaite with one. With Harry Wilson receiving a red card. Um, were you able to watch this game at all, Ryan? Um, I, I did watch glimpses of it. I couldn't watch the, the full 90, but from what I saw, Denmark were very very good and the welsh just it's not a good analysis is it but i think denmark <laughs> they, they just have they i think they have just been inspired since the horrific yeah. incident of their first game that it's almost like they're they're playing for ericsson aren't they they're going as far as yeah. they possibly can and they've almost turned into a bit of a dark horse i think especially after that Wales game they were so impressive i couldn't i can't really say many other sides in the knockout game specifically, you see Italy had to get to extra time and Austria scored a goal that was offside with five minutes to go in, in the 90. Belgium, okay, yeah, they beat the European champions, but it wasn't convincing. Denmark, I would say, and Czech Republic, who ironically are playing each other, have probably been the yeah, most impressive good. in the knockout games, I think. Yeah, they've got a really balanced team, haven't they? You, you know, you've got um, Vestergaard, Kujar, the captain, and Christensen at the back. Christensen had a really good season at Chelsea. Delaney and Hoisberg in midfield. Delaney, of course, from Dortmund. 
And then you got Casper Dolberg up front, who's a bit of a hit and miss striker. Um, I think he had a time at Ajax. We didn't quite hit the ground running, and he obviously got moved on. Braithwaite, you know, <laughs> Braithwaite somehow got a move at Barcelona. I'm not sure how that sort of happened, but fair plays to him. Um, and I got Damsgaard as well. What have you made of Damsgaard? Because recently he's quite a young player. I think he's about, I think he's 20 or under 20, and he's just recently been linked with Real Madrid. Um, he reminds really? me a bit of an Odegaard, Odegaard, really. Yeah, he's quite young and he sort of just came out of nowhere. And um, he's been playing really well. I think he plays a lot, you know, beyond these years. We've seen players like, you know, Saka playing like that as well. So I feel like he's another player to sort of just come out and, um, you know, you get, you get in these tournaments, you always get a player that sort of announces himself at the tournament. I feel like Damsgaard could be the player. Um, I mean, obviously, we know Real Madrid like to buy these young players. Um, and develop it into world-class superstars. So, yeah, what, have you, what are your thoughts on Damsgaard? Have you seen him much in the tournament? Um, I, yeah, he, he's, he definitely seems to have a lot of potential. And if there's ever a time to make an impact as a player, you want to do it in a European Championships or a World Cup where the whole world is is, is basically watching you. And he hasn't really put foot wrong. But I, one thing I will say is, one player in that Danish team I think has been very good is actually Pujol Hoiberg. Four assists, I think, mm-hmm. so far in, this, in the tournament. And he's just the man in midfield. Obviously, he's plays for Spurs as well, does well for them. But he, I think he's the one that really makes it tick in the middle of the park. And I think we saw that against Wales as well, didn't we, where he just, they just dominated the midfield, Delaney and um, Hoiberg. They really won that midfield battle, and I think that was a key aspect for how they beat Wales. Yeah, if, if we can just bring that um, graph up again, because it actually just shows you like the roughly average position of each player on the field. Um, and, you know, you can see Denmark on the right here. You had the uh, number seventeen Striger, I think, as you say it, and you had the number five of Miley playing on either flank, and I feel like they. Um, just cause so much of a threat because obviously they support the wingers and you can see a nice balance with the three attackers that I've highlighted with red there on the right-hand side. Um, and then you've got the Delaney and Hoysberg sitting in behind, just in front of the defence. And you can see Christensen there as well, sort of sitting a bit more in front of um, the centre-backs there, even though they were playing in a three, just sort of sitting a bit forward, winning the headers and that. And then just to touch on Wales, um, you know, you can look at the starting positions here and you sort of had four players on top of each other um, and they struggled for possession in this game. And as you can see, they didn't really use any width. You didn't have Bale sort of bringing the ball out of defence and sort of, you know, getting his team up the field. Um, Ramsey couldn't really get on the ball at all. And I feel like this was sort of a problem of Wales. They were sort of so clustered in midfield. Um, They didn't use the width on the pitch to try and get out um, and just to compare that that midfield there to um, Denmark, you can see Denmark's a lot more organised in the attacking third. And I feel like, um, I don't feel like this was Wales' best game though, Ryan, was it? Because obviously we've seen Wales perform really well in this tournament and they did, didn't really seem to hit the ground running. Well, they, I know that a lot of the Welsh players after the game were talking about, obviously, the way they were set out with the, where they were playing specifically and how they couldn't have any fans come over for the game. I think that's an example of where fans did make a difference in that game as well. 
where all those mm. Danish fans that travelled, I can't remember where it was now, but I know it was where I don't think they could actually, many Welsh people could actually go to the game because of the quarantine rules and everything else. And uh, yeah, I think maybe it was one game too many for Wales. They did, they, like, for me, I thought they overachieved in the, to get out of that, to get out of the group, really. Specifically after, uh, I thought Turkey were going to do really well and they ended up not doing great. <laughs> But it was similar yeah. to the Denmark game in that one, where every single fan in the ground was Tur- was were t- was Turkish fans. There was no Welsh fans yeah. there at all, and they were up against the odds, and they managed to succeed. I think with Wales, what it is is they need to make sure Ramsey and Bale are playing well all the time to to stand a chance. They're the, they're the two real superstars of the team, and if they if they can't gel for a game, then I just can't see them doing well. What did you make of Gareth Bale? I feel like we saw the Gareth Bale Tottenham of this season. He looked disinterested. He didn't look. He didn't look himself. You know, he didn't get on the. He didn't get on the ball to. You know, he didn't carry the ball up the pitch. Carry his team up the pitch. Um, you know, he, he had the captain's armband, but didn't really show any leadership on the pitch. Um, and I think one of the interviewers asked him a question of if he was going to retire from the Wales national team. And he sort of just stormed out, didn't he? He, he wasn't having any of that. But I think he did confirm later on that it was just a stupid question that he's not going to retire. And he's going to prepare for the World Cup that they'll be in. Um, yeah, what, what did you think of Bale? Do you, do you feel like he's sort of coming to the end of his career now where he's sort of losing interest? You know, he's won. Pretty much everything at club level. Of course, he hasn't won it at international level, but you can't always with the team you're given. Um, do you feel like he's sort of coming to the end of his career? Yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I, mean, I don't know if you heard the rumours that went around before the Euros that he was actually going to retire after the Euros. Yeah. A couple of rumours came around about that. And I I do still think that I mean, there's a quality player in there somewhere still. That, that, and he does have moments of brilliance. We saw the, the ball into Ramsey when uh, the goal against Turkey. So he does mm-hmm. have those moments of brilliance, but he just doesn't seem to have that consistency anymore. Do you feel like the consistency is down to his hard work? Do you feel like he's just not got the energy to to sort of, you know, maybe it's a fitness thing? Because obviously, when, you know, when he joined Tottenham on loan, he didn't play for a month or two because of his fitness. He wasn't up to standards. You know, he's not been playing for Real Madrid. Do you feel like he's just lost the hunger to keep fit and to be able to perform at the high standard that's needed? I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, to be honest, Josh. With Obviously, when he was at Real Madrid, a lot of people were, were, were thinking Real Madrid were being incredibly harsh for not playing Bale all the time. And then he came back to Spurs, and that was his real chance to really make an impact back to the club where he kind of made his name in Spurs. Mm-hmm. And... Mm. I think we saw a good Gareth Bale in the last two months of the season, but I think that was purely to try and get ready for the Euros of Wales, personally. I think he was trying to build his confidence up, play as well as he can, so he can yeah. try and play really well for Wales. But apart from those last couple of months, he, you, I don't think he was match fit. I don't, maybe, obviously, he had that Chinese move that kind of fell through, and I think after that, he just completely... His confidence was just shot after that. I think that that was weird, wasn't it? The China move. You know, you see a lot of players go to China to earn the extra money. 
Um, I think you've seen it with Old Nortovic actually recently. I think he's um, he's on a free transfer to Bologna in Syria from the Chinese Super League. Um, players go over there to earn quite a lot of money to come back. But with the Gareth Bale move, it just didn't seem to make sense because he's on about 500 grand a week around Madrid. He's probably not going to earn that in China. So I wasn't really sure why he was moving there. Or, or do you, what did you think the idea was behind that? Well, I remember the reports at the time, how true they are, I don't know. There was reports that he could have potentially been earning something like nearly a million pound a week or something. Like I really <laughs> doubled. Like that. Yeah, so it would have been absolutely ridiculous. But I don't mm. know if you know, but obviously it came out that I think a lot of these Chinese clubs are now selling their foreign players because mm. after what's happened with yeah. COVID, they, just, they can't afford it now. With, with COVID, it's completely ruined that concept for, I think, Chinese Super League. And that's why you mentioned about Arnautovic going... Was it Arnautovic you said? Yeah, I think he's going to free to Bologna. I mean, his contract's terminated or or something. Yeah. So it'd probably be down to his payment and that. Um, You know, he was was at West Ham and he he was having a... He was was doing really well at West Ham, wasn't he? He was playing up front through the middle, causing havoc and... I think it came out in the news that he, for some reason here, it's probably a lie, but he had a dream of playing in the Chinese Super League and he really wanted to, he wanted to do that. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously a, a money purpose thing because I, I don't know why you'd leave the Premier League playing at West Ham to um, move to the Chinese Super League. But you do get a lot of players do it. You know, you've seen Oscar at, at Chelsea do it. You've seen a Brazilian Hulk do it. Ramirez um, as well. Ramirez. You've had Pella. Pella from Southampton go there. So you do have a lot of players. Carrasco as well is in the Belgium side. They do that. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's just the it could be a confidence thing, you know, going to an easier league, you're still getting paid a high lot of money. And it's maybe like the agent, I don't know, or maybe family members sort of just say, you know, go to the Chinese Super League where you're gonna get games, you're probably gonna perform really well. And maybe it'll help you get a better move or build your confidence up for a better move late in your career. Do you think that could be a possibility for him, or do you feel like it's, it's just money-based? I, uh, I think there's some aspects to what you're saying might be correct, but I think the key part of, of going to China has got to be the wage packet more, more than anything that they get compared mm. to staying yeah. in Europe. And sometimes you just got to get, you know, secure as much money as you can. You know, these players do have families to take care of as well. So maybe they're just trying to make sure they can you know, make sure that they can have enough money to make sure they can live for the rest of their lives, basically, you know? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that, you know, it was like a phase, wasn't it, really, where, like, players were going over there, but it seemed to have slowed down slightly now, and we've not seen as many go over there. Um, Normally, older players now seem to go over to the MLS to sort of finish their career slightly, Um toned down league even though there's a lot a lot of travel involved in the MLS league constantly flying over different states and that but I feel like that would be something maybe more that takes off a bit more than it does the Chinese Super League from now on um, with Christian Eriksen not in the side even though he's obviously you know he's probably one of their best players most talented players on the ball do you feel like Denmark would have still got to this stage with him in the side maybe because obviously got that more motivation now to sort of do well for him you know, do you feel like they'd still be at the same stage with him in the side? It's difficult to say, really, because obviously there was talk that the 
the Denmark supporters weren't really that engaged with the team before the before the tournament. And mm-hmm. as horrendous as what happened with Ericsson, it's almost like the supporters backed the team there because they knew like we really need to support our country here because they need to so like connected them together. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. as horrible as it was, that's yeah. I honestly think that's what's kind of the motivation of the fans especially the fans that were in that ground as well, the horrific scenes that happened against Finland. But I, they've they've used that as a spark to really ignite their tournament. And who knows how far they can go. They're on the, they're on the well, easy side of the group, aren't they? So Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've seen that. You know, you've got um, the, the, you know, the big teams, you'd probably say, are England and Germany in, in that half of the, um, of the sides there. And... You know, they, they could probably be any of those teams in theory. Um, you know, I reckon Denmark could quite easily beat England, um, just depending on whoever gets through us in Germany. But I do feel like they have a really good chance of going to the final. Of course, anything can happen in a final. Um, but I think it's Czech Republic they have, isn't it? I can double right. check on that. Yeah, yeah Czech Republic. So, I mean, that's going to be a very tough game. Um, but it's nice to see these, you know, maybe smaller countries progress into the last stage of the tournament. I think it makes it really interesting. Even though it's always nice to have the big sides um, in the finals and that. It's always nice to see the smaller country, the underdogs progress in there. Do you feel like international teams have a bit more of a connection throughout the team than at club level? You know, you, you see all these teams like Switzerland, like Czech Republic. They don't have these massive players, but they seem to play and gel together as a team, a lot more than they maybe would at club level. Do you see that at all? Or do you feel that it's just, uh, you know, just sort of something that's <laughs> I've sort of made up? <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I think sometimes, I think especially with the teams like the Czech Republic, Switzerland, as we're seeing at the moment, it's about playing for your country. It's pride, isn't it? They're, they all have one mm. goal, which is to do well. And it isn't all necessarily about oh, well, this player is on this certain amount of money a week and this player is on that sort of money a week, as you would see at club level. But in the country, you've got that common goal of let's make our country proud kind of thing. More dedication, I feel like. I just feel there's a lot more purpose of them putting their body on the line for a last-ditch challenge or something. I feel like you see a lot more commitment throughout the 90 minutes than maybe you'd see at club level. I, I do think what we are seeing, though, is that uh, with the big sides like France, like Netherlands, where you've got all these egos, all these big, big superstars, but they're just not gelling together. And you're seeing the likes of Czech Republic, Switzerland, um, Denmark, who on paper haven't got the best teams, but they're just, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, they're just gelling so well, they're connected so well, and they're just working... Like, as we know, it's a team sport. You've got to play together in order to, to do well. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I mean, well, as we stay on that on that um, topic, though, moving into the Belgium-Portugal review, Belgium obviously won this one 1-0 with Forgan Hazard scoring. Um, and it's just keeping on that topic with big players not, you know, gelling together as such with this Portugal team. Um, I personally expected a lot better because, you know, you've got Ronaldo in there, Bernardo Silva, Jota, um, Fernandez, you got these big players that didn't really seem to gel as much as I thought they would. Do you feel like that's sort of the same for Portugal? They didn't quite, you know, I don't think they sort of achieved what they would have wanted to achieve in this tournament, even though they came up against Belgium. 
Yeah, I, th I think we saw that specific. Well, I mean, if, if we break down Portugal's tournament overall, yes, they beat Hungary 3 0 in the opening game, but it did take them to the 87th minute to score against Hungary in, in the opening mm -hmm. game. And then the second game, Portugal Germany, which was a great game of football, Portugal's main chances in that game came from the counter-attack and Germany realised, well, if we take our chances here, we'll win the game. And that's exactly what they mm -hmm. did. They outperformed Portugal. And against France, it was... I think both sides kind of knew, even though both teams were going for it, they knew by the end, well, you know what, we might... If it's a draw, we both go through anyway. So that's probably not how they fought. But once you get to a certain minute of the game, you think, well, that's the one game where I thought Portugal did quite well in against France because of the opposition they were up against but against Belgium yeah specifically Bruno Fernandes he hasn't he's been dropped a couple of times as well hasn't he he's not really performed for Portugal he's over started one or two games in total um and then games I feel like he's, he's a substitute he's come on and offered more than he has done when he started and you know I even though he performed you know I think he was one of the best players in the Premier League last season as we call it um, and he created and scored so many chances. But I feel like, as we've never seen previously with him, he doesn't seem to turn up in the big games as such. Um, that might annoy Man United fans, probably. But I think it's pretty much true. We saw it in the Europa League final, and I think we've seen it throughout this tournament as well, that he's not stepped up to the big occasion. And I don't really know what that is. I don't know... You know, I think there was an article I saw recently stating it might be sort of Ronaldo's fault. They just don't gel together in the team. Um, I'm really not too sure what's happened with Fernandez. Do you feel like... What, what, what do you think about him? What's your impressions of him? Well, obviously, a lot of his goals from Manchester United were penalties. And we knew he wasn't going to take the penalties for Portugal. But, yeah, I, I he just specifically for Portugal, just didn't really turn up. It's quite fascinating when you think the team that won the Euros um, in 2016 in Portugal, on paper, they had a better team this time around, I think, than they did in the last... than they did four or five mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. I think. But I think that's yeah. the, the example of all these players have, like, the Yotas and the Fernandeses, the Ronaldos, just not gelling together. I think in 2016, they knew pass the ball to Ronaldo and he will score. But then even then, I think he was injured in the final, from what I remember. And they just played yeah, the team and, yeah. and did brilliantly. You know, so... Yeah, very... Do you, feel Ronaldo, do you feel Ronaldo should have been starting on the left-hand side? Because I remember I talked to um, Jack uh, in episode one, and he was a Juventus fan, and he stated that he, Ronaldo prefers to play on the left-hand side rather than up front. And throughout this tournament, we've seen Ronaldo starting up front, and then obviously in the last stage of the tournament or in the last stage of the games, Adrian Silva's come on and played up front and shifted around it onto the left. And I, I just personally see Ronaldo always being that left winger. You know, he likes to cut in on his right foot, or he makes the right run late into the box onto the edge of crosses and that. Um, do you feel like they should have had Ronaldo on the left and maybe played Adrian Silva, who's had a really good season in the Bundesliga up front? Yeah, possibly. I mean, the other option you could have there is Yotta. He's played up front for Liverpool a couple of times himself. You could have you could have switched them around mm. a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, I'm the same as you. I've always grown up with Ronaldo playing on the left-hand side, specifically for Real Madrid, where it, as much as he is still a fantastic player, that's that's where he played his best football for me, was at Real Madrid, for sure. And um, mm-hmm. feeding in a player like Benzema, of course, but can't have that for Portugal, unfortunately. But uh, you mentioned Andre Silva is a, still a very, very good option to have mm-hmm. uh, going forward up front. I'm not sure who else they have up front, to be honest, but I know there is someone else. That they Actually, have. they created 24 attempts on goal and they only hit the target five times. And that's not really good enough return to be scoring goals with, really. Um, the other player I think you were thinking of might be João Felix. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, I know he plays up yeah. front, but he didn't have the best of tournaments either, really, did he? I think it was about £100 million he cost Atletico Madrid. He's not really justified his price tag for club or country. Still a young player, of course. Um, and they also had Rafa Silva, who's um, performed quite well coming off the bench. Very quick um, player from Benfica, plays on the right-hand side. Uh, I, I think he would have been probably more beneficial playing him over Bernardo Silva, just because Silva's not the quickest player. And I've always seen Silva more in midfield or in that attacking midfield position rather than out on the right-hand side. But... Overall, I just don't think Portugal played to Ronaldo's strengths, really, because in the day, Ronaldo's a match winner and he's someone that's going to, you know, he's going to carry Portugal to a final. And I don't feel like they played to his strengths as much as what they probably could have. Um, yeah, what, what do you think? Do you feel like Portugal played to his strengths? Well, I think specifically in that game, what is quite damning is I don't think Belgium actually played that well themselves and they still did enough to win. To, to knock Portugal mm. out of the game, which might just show, because, I mean, Portugal were very close in the end to equalising them, I thought. And um, it was a moment of brilliance, really, wasn't it, from Forgan Hazard to, to, yeah. to win the game in the end. But, yeah, they just they just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Portugal, Courtois, I think we've got to mention, did make some really, really nice saves as well to deny Portugal. One player I did think played really well for them actually was Renato Sanchez, who only seems to really pop up for European mm. competitions. He's, a, he's, he's had an interesting career, hasn't he, Renato Sanchez? Yeah, he's just won um, Ligue 1, didn't he, at Lille. Yeah. Um, you know, he's popped up at Lille now. He's been at Bayern Munich. He's had a loan spell at Swansea. didn't go to... You know, I think there's been so much pressure on him, even though he's still quite a young player um, to perform because he's like... He's all-rounded. He's got. He can attack. He can defend. He's got the pace. He's got the agility. He's got the strength. And I feel there's been quite a lot of pressure put on him to become this player that everyone's hyped him up to be. And I think that's maybe slightly, maybe sort of slightly knocked his confidence just because he's not reached that level yet, even though he's still young. Um, so I think he's just finding his feet. And I feel like the French league's probably quite a good place to be able to do that. And obviously he's worked himself into the tournament. But we did have a. Um, graph on the screen just then um, but we'll, we, we can sort of show you the positions here and on the, obviously on the left hand side there um, you have the just see that there yeah so if you had the Belgian side on the left there as I've highlighted in green playing five at the back um, a very old defence as I must say there's Vermaelen who's about 35 now um, Alderweire out there Tongan um, obviously they're really solid at the back there I have to say and they were able to slot into five at the back. So you had Forgan Hazard out on the left wing back position. 
Um, a position that he's not actually familiar with. You've sort of more seen him on the left side or in the centre attack midfield type. So that's a slightly new position for him. Um, and actually, he had, he had his brother Eden Hazard um, next to him on the flank there. Uh, but yeah, just looking at the at the um, Portuguese side there, they sort of just left so much space for Belgium to um, expose. And we saw that quite a few times, didn't we, I think, with um, Lukaku sort of holding the ball up into them um, pockets of space. But he didn't quite have the runners, did he, late on? No, you're, yeah, you're absolutely spot on there, Josh. I think Lukaku has shown his quality in this tournament as well. I really do. I think he's, he's kind of proven. Obviously, he's had a fantastic... Um, Fantastic season with Inter Milan, winning the Serie A with them, and there's obviously there's been rumours that he, where he might go next. Of course, with Conte leaving Inter Milan, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and he's, he'll definitely have quite a few suitors, I think, after the European Championships for sure. Yeah, because I, I think there's rumours of him. I think I think he said he wants to stay, but you know you can you, you never know with players. I feel like there was a ninety million pound rumour on him, and I think there was like Manchester City were looking at Harry Kane. And you can get Lukaku, you know, sort of on the same world-class level as Kane. Um, and he's younger as well, isn't he? And I, I feel like he offers, you know, he was at Man United and I don't feel they used his strengths well because he weren't quick enough in that. But if you use, if you play to Lukaku's strengths of holding the ball up and the way he can shield the ball and then turn on a player and, he, and the player, just the defender, because Ruben Diaz had such a problem trying to win the headers off him, didn't he? when the ball was getting hoofed up to Lukaku and he just couldn't do it. He's such a big lad. And um, if you play to Lukaku's strengths and if you have players like De Bruyne running off, Eden Hazard as well on the other side, you're going to always cause problems. Here, obviously, Thierry Henry was being at the Belgian camp. Obviously, we're big fans of him. I'm sure Ryan is as well. Do you feel like he's been helping Lukaku out? I think you can you can see, can't you, when, whenever the uh, camera cuts to Lukaku... On the sidelines, he's always talking to one. Really, they seem to have this relationship where mm. I think because Kaku was quality before Omri was the assistant at Belgium, but I think when you've got a player like Thierry Omri, one of the best strikers that to ever grace the game, really, I might be biased saying that. I'm not sure, but I'd say that's a fair nah. comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lukaku's going to listen to a player like that or like a mm-hmm. guy like that that's been there, done that, he's won World Cups not sure if he won the European Championship but I know he won the World Cup for sure I think um, France won the Euros after they won the World Cup, I'm pretty sure that does sound I'm correct sure. I'm sure they did, I'm sure Omri would have been in that side yeah but he's a, he's definitely, I think if you're going to have some someone to uh, be your mentor. There's no one better, really, than Thierry Henry, I think. He's he definitely yeah, thrived. Do you feel him. like he'll get back into management? I'm not quite sure, to be honest. Um, obviously, I know he was with Montreal Impact. I think he was at mm-hmm. in the MLS. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've got to be honest, I don't really follow the MLS, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what really happened there. But um he seems to be doing good in his current role as assistant with Belgium. As an Arsenal fan, me seeing that makes me think would he be a decent option had to have the, be an assistant for us. But I mean, I'm sure he has his own options and things like that. Who knows what's going to happen? But... Yeah, I think he said on Sky he wanted to um, get back into management, but it was um, he left Montreal Impact to be close to his family because I think they were still in London. Um, 
I think there's a penalty actually going on in the Switzerland France game. There's a potential penalty check, and I think the referee's actually gone over to check the board. I think there's a penalty for Switzerland. I think VAR's really? given it, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a foul. It's just literally on the line. And I think if it's on the line, it's a penalty, isn't it? Because it's not outside of the box. Oh, that's, that's really close. He's dived in outside of the box, but he sort of <laughs> slid into the box and sort of caught him just on the outside. And he's actually he's given it. So Switzerland wow. have a perfect chance here to double their lead. It's going to be massive. I don't know who's going to take it, though. But yeah, I, I'm, on the Omri subject, he left with COVID. I think they were isolating so much and they just couldn't play many games and training. That was all um, out of what it, you know, it was sort of normal normal way training should be happening every every day and such. I feel like that sort of caused him to leave. But I think he has said on Sky he'd like to get back into management. But yeah, I, I'd love to have him at Arsenal doing some um, coaching, striker coaching would be quite nice. But just before we move on, we are going to quickly see this penalty and see if Switzerland can take the lead. Hugo Lloris, obviously, in goal. I think he's a very good penalty stopper, Hugo Lloris. Ricardo, Ricardo Rodriguez is stepping up. The left-back taking the penalty. Very surprising. Always should be the striker, I think. Rodriguez is looking at the ball, steps up, and he's here the left-hand side, and Hugo Lloris saves it and gathers it, and he's kept France in the game. That's a really poor penalty. Put it to the left-hand side of the goal. He's not enough pace on the ball. Uh, Why is your left-back taking the penalty? (laughs) Yeah, I think he has. I think that'll spur him on now. Good save, but yeah... Don't you think the strikers should always take the penalty? It's their job to score from the penalty spot, you know. They should have the confidence to be able to put that away. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, it depends on who's the best player on the pitch to take a penalty, obviously, as well. But, yeah, mm-hmm. you'd always expect your striker to take the penalty. And whenever it isn't a striker and it is missed, then question marks are normally going to be made, for sure. So now we got, obviously... They were our reviews of the Belgium-Portugal game. And now we are moving on to our matchup. Our matchup today is England versus Germany in the last 16. Ryan, what are your thoughts on England-Germany? Massive game. Very, very massive game. And for me personally, I hope there's a side of England that we haven't seen yet that they want to unleash in the knockout rounds. At least that's my hope anyway, because I don't think England have played that well in the group, but they've done enough. That, that's that's the key thing. You, you do enough to go through in the group, and then you should really push on. And yeah, it's going to got to be up for it, really, haven't they? Against the Germans, but... Yeah, I've got some stats here for you as well. Probably not going to give us, give us much confidence, but um, and I think France have just equalised as well. So I think, like we're saying, Lloris making that save has spurred them on to go and grab the equaliser. Well, obviously, there's Benzema. He's been massive for France in this tournament. He's really stepped up, up for him. 
really great finish as well. Took it into his stride and it's just poked it to the side of the keeper there. Really nice finish by Benzema. Um, but yeah, we've got a stat here which we won't provide you with much confidence. But since 2010, they have played England have played Germany five times, with Germany winning three and England winning one, with the other game finishing as a draw. And the last game was November the 10th, 2017, ended 0-0. While the last time they met in the Euros was June the 17th, 2000, where England won 1-0. So, you know, the last game in the Euros, we beat them. But on average, we normally lose to Germany, which probably, you know, I feel like with the team we have, I feel like this is probably one of our best times to go in confident. We have a lot of attacking players, so many different options on both flanks. Um, you know, just talking about our predicted lineup, though. So, would you either go for Saka or Sancho? Well, I think it it wouldn't surprise me if both are left out in Southgate's team. But for me, I I I can't see past Saka not start. He's he's got to start for me because you know he, he's not really put a foot wrong for England. Every time he's been called upon, whether it's been the warm up games before the tournament and when he came. When he played against the Czech Republic, and even when this is the difference as well, when you're at the game, you can see so much more than you can see on the TV. And while I was at the game, I saw the, the the runs he was making off the ball, how he was always trying to make an him every time he got the ball, you always wanted to go forward with it, always wanted to try and make stuff happen. It's a bit like how a Foden does, but I think I I can't see. I personally don't think Saka or Sancho will probably play tomorrow. As much as I want Saka to play, I think Foden will most likely come back in. Mason Mount will probably come back in as well. Um, of course, coming back from his isolation. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I really answered your question there, Josh. But what do you <laughs> that's think? all right. I, I was just going to say France have taken the lead. It sort of took my attention away. Karen Benzema scored again. Um, I think it was. I think it was Mbappe chipped it up. And it sort of, I think it went for the chip on the goalie and it went to the back post and Benzema just slightly headed it in to make it 2-1 France. And he was on side. I think there was a few hands up from the Swiss defenders, but France are now taking the lead. And I think that penalty saved really... Uh, it was Griezmann that tried the chip, sorry. And he's really spurred them on and, and took the lead. And he just on side Benzema there. I think it was a great save point. by the keeper, actually, to stop the... Good save by Sommer there to stop the chip. Really good save, but yeah. Benzema, That's an incredible fantastic four minutes, strike. that is. Incredible four minutes, yeah. missed penalty, and then France got up the other end and scored twice. Well, I think that's four goals in two games for um, Benzema as well. So, really great tournament. I think that puts him up second in the top goal scoring chart. Um, but yeah, on, on, on to the England, though. I feel, you know, Saka got his man of the match performance against the Czechs. So, can you, can you drop him? Southgate, probably, yes. But I, I don't think uh, he should be dropped. I feel like on that right hand side, um, he's played in numerous big games now for us, and he and he's done really well. I think he, he's carried the Arsenal side in some of the big games he's played in. So I don't feel like this sort of tournament or match will phase him at all. Um, playing on the right hand side, he probably will be up against Goosens, won't he? I think Goosens plays that left wing back position. Um, so, you know, Saka as a player is going to get back and defend whoever's playing at right back, provide a bit of cover. But if the wing back is getting forward, maybe he stands a good chance. Um, and then Sancho, obviously, playing against players he plays against in the Bundesliga regularly. Um, I could also see him getting a chance, but he doesn't have a lot of experience 
um, with the England side. Doesn't seem to play as much. Um, so I feel like that may be one of the reasons Southfield doesn't play him. And then in the middle, personally, I wouldn't have Mount just because I don't feel like he provides as much as what Grealish would provide, um, especially in the tight situations. And if, you know, if Germany are playing three, three centre-backs and then obviously play three at the back and then they'll play five at the back when defending, I feel like you need a Jack Grealish to be able to break that sort of side down. Um and then Foden, I uh, don't know about Foden, to be honest. I don't feel like he's a massive impact on the side, but I feel like he's a threat when he's on the pitch. It's hard to say of Foden. Do you think it's possible to play all three of Foden, um, Mount and Greenish? Because I think you could fit all three in, personally. But... I think you, I feel like you could, but I, I, I do like the Phillips and Rice midfield in front of the back four. Um, but I mean... You can sort of play that Man City formation where you play, say, for instance, you play Declan Rice in midfield, then you play the two attacking midfielders that obviously have to drop back and defend. You could have, you know, you could have Mount and Foden there. You could then have Grealish or Sterling on the left, and then you could have like Saka or Sancho on the right. Um, and we've, we've even got Rashford out on there on the left hand side. We could also play, but. You know, I, I I could also see England playing a five at the back as well with Germany's yeah. threat. I'm attacking, uh, you know, Reese James right wing back, probably a Carl Walker right centre back, probably Maguire in the Saka mid. As a wing back as well, if they, if they you can, to yeah, play Saka as a wing back. If, if they wanted to, they could. Yeah, he's he really good at attacking from the wing back position. Personally, I like to see him higher up the pitch. But that that is a really nice option you do have with Saka. Um, and yeah, I, I just feel like it's always going to be one of those things where really. does Southgate change the fullbacks again? Will he go with Carl Walker or Reese James or even Kieran Trippier? You know, there's so many options there. You never know who he's going to go for. He, he likes, obviously, Carl Walker gives you the pace. Um, James gives you the strength and then, you know, Trippier's been well drilled under Simeone, so you've got so many options in this England side you sort of, it's so probably a nice headache for Southgate to have um, but we, I think we do have a little video of Calvin Phillips um, speaking ahead of the game that we'll be able to hear you know, We've not had many chances on goal I've not been many goals scored but I feel like, you know, in these type of games, um, you know it's down to one chance and you know, like it has been in the, you know, the win against Croatia and, you know, the win against Czech Republic, it's, you know, a couple of chances. And if we can be clinical in them chances, then it doesn't really matter how many chances we create as long as we win the game. Um, Robin? So, yeah, it's sort of Calvin Phillips there just irritating that, you know, all, all it can take is one chance in these sort of last stage of the tournament in these games. We only play in one round. Um, yeah, Calvin Phillips is, is a interesting player because he's obviously very similar to Declan Rice but I think under playing under Bielsa I feel like Calvin Phillips probably gives you a bit more stamina a bit more legs in that midfield to run around for 90 minutes at you know at the pace that Leeds do yeah absolutely uh, one thing I will say about Calvin Phillips and what we saw in the opening game against Croatia is that Declan Rice was kind of was the holding midfielder and it allowed Calvin Phillips to go forward. And we saw the great runs, of course, he put in the man of the match performance as well. But I think mm-hmm. where it kind of went wrong was against Scotland was where I think he kind of, he kept the two defensive minded midfielders on the pitch for too long. 
I think in that, you didn't in that need game, it in particular. Mm. You didn't need it as such. And I, I had a feeling they would probably struggle against Scotland because it's a local. Well, it was a dark, it's a derby game. Where Scotland, and we knew that we're going to be up for it. But I, I do like having Phillips, but I just think it's finding the right balance during the game that Southgate needs to think of. Where he's got to think if if something's not going right in the midfield, he shouldn't be afraid to change it up. I think I think that's what I think we need to see from Southgate going forward in the knockouts, you know? Do you think Henderson may, may be a better option to have with his leadership, with his Champions League final experience and just the overall experience he's gained at Liverpool in, in the big games? And he also plays more of a number six role as well, so I feel like he'll just be a bit more, you know, I think he'll just be a bit more proactive passing the ball forward rather than providing that sort of you know, defensive cover that the two CDMs would give. Do you feel like it'd be an option or maybe do you think like his match of lack of match game awareness because he's not played in so long may sort of stop that from happening? Well, yeah, as you mentioned about his match fitness, the was it the last warm-up game before the Euros? He, he came on for that second half and he was completely off the pace. But when he came on in the last game against Czech Republic... He definitely looked a bit more match fit, I thought, in the minutes that he came on. See, he actually mm. did score, but it was ruled out for offside in the end. But um looked a lot more match fit than he did um against against Romania before the, the Euro started. It, I think it all depends on whether he has 90 minutes in him, I think. If he's if it's a bit of a risk to start him in a game in a knockout match, I don't think you should take that risk. You've still got Bellingham mm-hmm. there as well, potentially. Yeah, who, number yes, eight is, sort of player. Yeah, who is very young, yes, but, you know, the old saying goes, if you're, you know, if you're good enough, it doesn't matter how old you are. And he's shown in this England side how well he can be, even if it is cameos off the bench. He doesn't look out of place at all, does he? No, I, I saw him play against Manchester City in the Champions League. I think that was the quarterfinals. And I think he scored one of the goals actually, but he was, he was looked really good. He looked in, in, sort of, in sort of his comfort zone, really playing at Dortmund uh, midfield, like the age of seventeen. And he's used to playing against some of the German players who are at Bayern Munich and that. And I don't feel like that will phase him too much. But I, I just feel like maybe with his lack of um, game time in an England shirt, it might be something that just holds him back from starting really. But, but again, it's just another great option to have off the bench. Um, if we need a goal, I feel like he'd be the sort of player to bring on in that midfield position just to sort of um, get the ball from the defensive players up to the attack and playing a lot more quicker. Um, but just to touch on the Germany, Germany team as well, um, Werner's not been playing up front recently. It's been Gnabry. Do you feel like that will stay? Or do you feel like Timo Werner will be back in the side? Um, it wouldn't surprise me if well, there, there's two interesting aspects of what you mentioned there about Gnabry and Werner. I don't know if you've seen one of the press conferences, you might even have the clip, I'm not too sure. Um, we have a Kai Havertz um press conference we can bring very soon if that's oh, okay. one you're on about. No, no, there was one with Gnabry and he mentioned about always scoring in London. Because, of course, he okay, yeah. with Bayern Munich yeah. and he scored against. Ch- uh, scored a couple against Spurs. I think he scored a couple against Chelsea. Not obviously not the year this season, but last season. I'm talking yeah. the season before this year. 
um, it's just gone. And um, you've got that aspect of the fact that he loves to score in London. And with Timo Werner, he's been criticised by a lot of the English press because of how bad he's been at Chelsea. And you have to think, surely that's got to be motivation to go up against England and make an impact. It really wouldn't surprise me if he goes, you know what, I want to play this game to prove a lot of doubt was wrong about my performances for Chelsea. This is his, This could be his opportunity to really shine against England. But I'm hoping that- I'm wrong. But do you know what I mean? It's the yeah, it, it's it's that Morat effect that Chelsea have been given strikers recently, and it happened with Fernando Torres as well. That um, these strikers seem to go to Chelsea and they seem to just lose all their confidence, really. And and he, and he's taken that on with Germany, and he just misses so many chances. He scores a lot of um, goals that seem VAR seems to roll offside or something. So that probably doesn't really help his confidence as such. Um, but yeah, playing Canabri up front is a, a weird one. I've always seen him as a right-sided player, but with Kai Havertz and you've sort of got Thomas Muller either side behind and they both score goals. We've seen Havertz score a few goals already this tournament. I feel like that's a, a quite a nice system to play. Uh, and, you know, you've got Leroy Sane on the wing. He's not had a great season, really, but he's obviously gives you a lot of pace. Um, you've got Kimmich put him really good crosses in Goosens on the other hand side as well. Um they got they got a nice lot of attacking options, but yeah, like like we're saying, they don't really have that natural goal scorer up front that you've probably been used to seeing with um with Germany, you know, with Miroslav Kloser, um which is a fantastic striker for Germany back in the day and that Yeah, it's that's um, quite a big confidence builder going into a, going into a tournament where you're not conceding goals. That's obviously a perfect way to sort of progress through the tournament. But yeah, like you were saying, they've got quite an ageing defence, the um, Germans do. And, you know, you've got Matt Tunnels back there, the lack of pace. Do you drop Harry Kane and maybe play someone like Rashford or Calvert-Lewin, who's got more pace to expose them? It, it's a weird one, really, because obviously Kane scoring, you know, he, he's one of those players that you play, you just always got the belief he'll get you a goal somewhere. But yeah, this hasn't been doing it in this tournament. And I, I don't know if Southgate will adapt to how Germany play. Maybe will play a pacey striker like a Rashford or something. Um, do you feel Kane's droppable? Well, I think he is droppable. I don't think they will drop him, though. But, and, you know, he, I know Southgate's come out publicly and said that Kane will be starting most games and this, that and the other. Yes, he's England captain. But I actually think his mind might be elsewhere. Obviously, you've got the, the reports about mm. Manchester City publicly saying, yes, he hasn't handed in a transfer request to Spurs, but he has come out numerous times in the press and said, I want to win trophies. I want to win leagues, which kind of tells you everything you need to know. He came out saying all of this before the tournament and then hasn't really performed in the tournament. So it shouldn't really be a distraction, but it looks like it is, doesn't it, really? Um and I think in such a big game, I can't see Southgate doing that. I mean, if it, my personal opinion is, why not give Calvin a go? Go crossing the ball, crossing the ball in nine times out of ten, he's going to get his head on it, at least hit the target, that alone score. Why not give a player like Calvin a chance to fry if Kane isn't provided for us? But I do think if we want to go far in the tournament, we need Kane to fire because he is he's the talisman, he is the main man. Or England. He's the one that everyone relies on, you know? 
Uh, and just give you a goal update with France is 3-1 now. Pogba just scored a screamer from outside the box for about 25, 30 yards out. He's put a top right-hand corner. Um, typical Paul Pogba goal, that. That's a really nice goal. So, it's France, three, Switzerland, one. Um, but, yeah, with that, with the, um, just with the Carry the Kane talk, he's, um, he was linked with the £100 million move to Manchester City. An interesting thing there as well, I think there was a slight um, swap deal involved with Sterling. And I think he's come out of the media that Sterling is quite happy with Man City have been involved. I don't think he wants to move to Tottenham. At least he wants to be involved in, in the talk as such, not being forced out. So I think there's quite, quite a lot of truth behind that. But Man City also linked with Jack Grealish, and I think there's quite a few talks going on with him. And I don't feel like that's, um, you know, I don't feel like that's stopped his performances in the tournament so far. I, I think Kane's a professional. He's obviously the captain of of, of the side, and I, I feel like he's quite a professional player. And I, I don't think that would affect him massively. Um, I've, I've always wondered how it could affect a player because sort of, you know, think about it at night, but once you sort of game day, you know, you fo- get your focus down on the game you're playing. And I feel like that'd be something Kane would do. But I think because he has to adapt his role quite quite much compared to what he does at Spurs. You know, he dropped deeps and he's playing a lot of, he gets a lot of assists. And I feel like he's adapted to England to play more than just solely at that number nine spot. And I feel like he's just struggling to get back used to playing that sort of original position he used to play at. And you know, uh, in go on, Ryan, go on. Sorry, I, I was just literally going to say that that you've hit the nail on the head there. Every time I've seen Kane play for England, it's like he's in a Spurs shirt because he's pro- trying to provide for everyone when we need him to be what he was in 2018 in the World Cup, as you mentioned, to be the main man, to be the one that's on the end of. Oh, I think we've just lost Brian there, the connection problem. Um, but I, I'll just carry on what he was saying that in the World Cup, he did get us. He was the player that sort of took us to where we got to the semi final with, with his goals. Um, you could say we obviously got more penalties in that tournament, which he obviously converted very well. Um, but yeah, Kane is a player that if you want to win a tournament like this, you need him firing. We've seen quite a few world past players performing now Lukaku, Lewandowski getting goals, Ronaldo getting goals. So I feel like Harry Kane just needs to do his part. And, you know, he's one of the best number nines in the world. Um, so you do expect him to hopefully... Now, he's right. We slightly Sorry. lost you there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened there. Sorry about that. Um, we were talking about Kane, wasn't we? Yeah, yeah, we were just saying that Harry Kane, you know, he was performing in the World Cup and that sort of... Even maybe quite a few of them goals might have been penalties. He was probably one of the reasons that got us to the semi-final because you need, you need him scoring if you want to win tournaments like this. Yeah. And I think what I was trying to say before I randomly kicked me off or disconnected me probably um, <laughs> was with, with Spurs, he's got to be that, that provider because he hasn't really got many players to provide for him. But for England, he doesn't need to do that. The amount of creative players we have in that team, all he has to do is play as a number nine, play as a striker, and the balls will be coming into him. I think what I've what we've seen from him He's almost been the man crossing the ball half the time when mm. someone should be crossing the ball into him rather than him crossing the ball into a, just an example, Phil Foden, who's probably five foot four, if you know what I mean. Play to his He's, strengths more. That's it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so let's go for your predictions for this Germany-England tie. What are you going for? 
Uh, I could see you going to extra time. I'm not sure about penalties. I'd well, I probably say <laughs> I'd probably say two one England in extra time. Who are your goal scorers? Despite everything I've just said, I'll say Sterling, and it'll probably be a clean mm-hmm. penalty. Okay, that's quite interesting. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two New England. I'm gonna say our defense is gonna hold up like it has in the tournament. And I mean, goal scorers, I'm gonna go. I feel like Harry Maguire is gonna get one for some reason. Very good set of pieces, and I feel. I'm going to go with Sterling getting one as well. I feel like he's going to carry on his form. And I feel like maybe on the counter-attack as well, if the fullback's going to get forward, I feel like his pace might just be able to expose Hummels and and Co. And, yeah, I feel like he's going to carry on his performance. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to also announce that the beer garden at the Biggles Rage United will be open tomorrow from 5pm for the England-Germany game. And as you can see there as a banner, Keith Hospice Care Stadium, you can obviously come down and you bring your mask, of course. You obviously need still need to wear that going into the clubhouse to be able to buy your drink. But come down, the screens, I think hopefully it'll be sunny. I uh, can't promise that, but the screens could be outside. If not, I'm sure they'll be inside. You'll be able to watch the game inside um, and, and enjoy that. So just moving on to of these stats, tables and leaderboards. Of course, you know all the leaderboards now. Um, so just quickly run through them for you. So England topped Group D of Croatia, Czech Republic. Um, obviously going through Group E, Sweden, Spain went through. Group F, France, Germany, Portugal went through. With obviously Portugal getting knocked out. And moving on to the top goal scorers, this may have slightly changed um, going into today's game. But yeah, it is currently Cristiano Ronaldo with five. Of course, he can't get any more. And just a quick update, Switzerland have made a goal back 3-2. That might have been Sferovic. Um, Patrick Sheik on four. Of course, he can still increase his goals because he's still in the tournament. And Emil Forsberg on three as well. And he um, in a really good tournament. And you can just see some assists there. Hoisberg is actually a number three assist. Which I'm sure, Ryan, you're quite surprised about Hoisberg getting that many assists. Yeah, I mean, I, I I know I mentioned earlier about him being a, a key player for uh, Dem- Denmark. Yeah, Denmark. Um, I am right saying Denmark, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. My mind went a bit blank for a second. Um, yeah, it, it just goes to show that, yeah, he, even though he's an older midfielder, he seems to be still providing for the Danes. Yeah, quite surprising. Yeah, and you got got um, Steven Zuber of Switzerland, who... He's got three as well. He's playing, I think, left midfield or left wing back. I'm just going to quickly see who he plays for. He's had a really good... I think he got all of his assists in one game, you know. Um, Steven Zuber, he plays for Frankfurt. Eintracht Frankfurt. So, he might be he's 29 years old. So, he, he's, you know, he's sort of in his prime now. Um, but, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he can get any more. I don't know if he's got any assists tonight. Um, I have to update you on that next week because I'm not sure who's got the assists, but Seferovic has scored for Switzerland to make it 3 2, so maybe he was the one to put the cross in. Um, so, coming up next, we have the upcoming fixtures. So, we don't have as many as previous weeks, and I'm going to quickly rattle through these. Um, so, these are the round of 16, and there'll be a few quarterfinals with predictions, of course. 
So on the Tuesday, the 29th of June at 5pm, we have England versus Germany. Of course, this is tomorrow. And at 8pm, we have the Sweden-Ukraine game, which is quite an interesting game. So, of course, we've had your predictions for England-Germany. Um, what are you going for, Sweden-Ukraine, Ryan? Interesting one, isn't it? Because both sides have very good players that well, players that have turned up this tournament. I can't remember who... Mm-hmm. Is it Yarmolenko that's been scoring for fun for Ukraine? Or am I getting Yarmolenko, I think it is. And Yarmachuk. I think I think that's how you say his name. I believe they both got a goal each in two separate games. I feel like they've been sort of been carrying Ukraine. I can't who's that? I can't think of any other players they have. <laughs> they seem to be I think Yarmolenko's probably the most noticeable player, obviously with him being at West Ham. Yeah, and they've got Shevchenko, of course, he's the manager there as well. Um who Yeah. One of the best players to come out of Ukraine as well. So You've got that. That score prediction you said. Um, Sweden, they topped the group as well, didn't they? Um, I'd probably say... I reckon it'll be a goal-scoring one. I'm going for 3-1 Sweden. 3-1 Sweden. Um, I'm going to go... Let's go 2-2, and I feel like it's going to be the first game that goes to penalty shootouts. I feel like it's going to be... Probably Sweden, just because I know Sweden players a little bit better. I feel like they're just, yeah. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> I don't, know. I don't know all the Sweden squad, but I feel Sweden just a structure strong team this year. I feel like they'd be the team to win, and Switzerland have equalised, but I think it might be offside. Really? Yeah, just a call of my eye to see him put it in, and the player doesn't look shocked. I'm sure VAR will look at it, but the player's not really protesting. Of course, it is a 84th minute, so it would have been a really good time to get. Uh, ooh. I think, yeah, I think he's just offside, maybe a yard offside, but looks like the right decision. Um, Ryan, did you want to read out the next two games if you got them in front of you? That is. Um, what's that? You said England, Germany, and Sweden, Ukraine, didn't you? Um, yeah, Friday, which... 2nd of July's game. Yeah, you've got well, they they haven't been confirmed yet, but I think that would be Spain against France or Switzerland, I believe. I think That's you might be right there. Right. It's yeah, four finals, got... one verse two. That's sort of like the information we have in front of us. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not yeah it would make sure. sense. Yeah, so it would be Spain versus Switzerland. We might have the days wrong here. But I'm not quite too sure. Um, Based on what we have seen of Spain, um, I suppose I, I could probably talk about the game that we that has been confirmed: Czech Republic versus Denmark, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, on the Saturday, which is a five o'clock game. That's a very it's a game. Well, it's two underdogs, really, isn't it? In the uh, in the Czech Republic going through, finished third in England's group, of course, and uh, really shocked the Dutch. Where I think the Dutch, as much as they underperformed, I think Czech Republic played as well as what the Netherlands played bad. And as we mentioned earlier, they really took advantage of the one-man advantage against the Dutch. Um, mm-hmm. What can you see that score being between Czech Republic and Denmark? Uh, I do. I think I think Denmark are going to go through. I think Denmark might just have too much for them. But Czech Republic, I think that seems to be one of those teams that can sort of just, um, you know, I feel like, 
not a dirty team, but they're sort of just one of those teams that can win dirty, if you know what I mean. I feel like they can probably defend and they, and they can just grab a goal or two. So I think defensively, they're pretty sound. You know, we only scored one against them. We didn't really ever look like we are going to score many more. And, you know, up front, Sheik's been firing, so the confidence is there for him. Um, but, yeah, I think Denmark may just have too much for him. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Denmark on that one. What about you? I reckon it will be... I think... I've got the same score as you. I'll go 2-1 Denmark. Yeah. I think it will I think it'll go to extra time. I think that game will go to extra time. I think both teams will definitely see it as a major opportunity to get to a European semi-final, considering at a quarter-final you could get harder games than Czech Republic or Denmark. Both sides will feel they'll definitely be up for it. And both sides know it's a huge opportunity to get to the semi-final. So I see it being a quite good game of football. Hopefully, anyway. Yeah, it could be a really good game, that one. Um, did you mention the Belgium-Italy game at all? I don't, I'm not sure if you did. Oh, of course. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's right. Belgium, on, Belgium versus Yeah, on the Italy, Friday, yeah. that one. That's, yeah. that's probably the biggest game that we have currently that's, you know, scheduled for, for the quarterfinals. Um, actually, I have, a, I have a player to watch in that game for Italy, and that's Spinazzola. I feel like he's really impressed. Um, obviously, he plays his football in Serie A for Roma, playing that left wing-back position. And I feel like his overwrapping runs will be the way to break down Belgium. I feel Belgium have been really solid at the back. You know, I'm I'm surprised for Marlins in the side. He used to play for Arsenal. I think he used to be one. He used to be our captain, didn't he? And um, he went off to Barcelona, had injury problems, and I don't currently know where he is at the moment. But 35, obviously, looked really good against Portugal. And I feel Belgium really defensively strong, and obviously they pose such a threat on the counter attack. But yeah, what, what do you think this game's going to end up like? Well, I don't. Obviously, we you know Italy blitz through their group brilliantly, but I think they did show signs of weakness against Austria, and mm, I don't. They struggled, didn't Bel- they? Yeah, I, I don't think Belgium have really hit the heights yet. Even though they, like we mentioned, they did beat Portugal, it wasn't exactly convincing either. So, it's definitely a game that can go either way. Um, you could argue it's, it's in terms of. In the, I know this isn't really an experienced Italian team, but here, as history goes by, Belgium are almost the new kids on the block when it comes to international. This is their golden. Yeah. The Italians are notorious for doing well when they get to European or World Cup tournaments. So, yeah. and Roberto Mancini seemed. It's, this isn't a normal Italian team, is it? They, then, it's not defensively minded. They're playing free flowing attacking football where they can get done on the counter attack. But Mancini seems to be playing such a good style of play. Something I don't think many Italians have seen their team play with. And with their defence as well, it's, it's definitely a hard game to call. Can I just pause you there, Ryan? Sorry, because Switzerland have equalised. It's now 3-3. Free free. Uh, this is mm. turning out to be one of those crazy games. I'm missing that. Oh, Shaka got the assist as well. No, did he? <laughs> I'm just trying Unreal. to. I'm just trying to work out who scored. It wasn't Seferovic. I don't think he has his hat trick. Um, come up here on flash scores as Gavronovic. 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 Yeah, I think he came on as a substitute. I think. I'm pretty sure I saw him coming on. I could be completely yeah, he wrong. Yeah, has. He has. You're right. Yeah, it's a free-free in the 90th minute. 
This is another wow. Spain-Croatia game. This is crazy. So this is, it looks like it's going to be heading to extra time. Yeah, Incredible. brilliant stuff by Switzerland. Um, but yeah, sorry, Ryan. Carry, carry on. Well, I, I think this today has just proven that you just cannot predict football, can you? It's just <laughs> it's so unpredictable. It's so unpredictable. But yeah, um, I can't call the Belgium into the game personally. But uh, yeah, I. It's going to be a close one. It's, it's either going to be one of those boring games where either side doesn't want to attack too much because, you know, so much is on the line. Semi-final is at stake. Or it could be one of those games that end-to-end. I feel Italy probably will have a lot of the possessions because they've got a really good midfield. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, I, feel, I think it's going to go one... I'm going to go one nil Italy. one Italy. scoring. I've, I've got I've got to pick a team, haven't I? Really? Uh, <laughs> I can see this game being one-one, and Italy win on penalties. I think Italy win on penalties. I think they are pretty good at penalties, aren't they? Yeah, I'm sure they that's are. That's what I'm thinking. The goal scorers, I've probably one thing we haven't I haven't mentioned actually. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, Josh. Well, Roberto Martinez said in his press conference today that potentially Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne will be are very unlikely to play against Italy, and I think that could be a major game. Yeah. I think Hazard pulled his hamstring, didn't he? I remember yeah. him sort of pulling on his quad and sort of just like, you know, get me off now. Um, yeah, De Bruyne had come off as well, didn't he, as a substitute? So I think there was. I can't think if I was watching the game fully or not. That there was something they were talking about, you know, he had to come off in the Champions League and now he's got to come off and potentially miss a game in the Euros. Has I feel De Bruyne will be a bigger miss than Hazard. I feel Hazard's not the same player as he used to be. Still poses a threat, of course. But yeah, have got Carrasco, who can they bring on? But yeah, De Bruyne is one of those big game players that if you don't have, you're going to miss him quite a lot, aren't you? Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he can make the lineup or not. But I feel if they don't play, that's going to be a massive loss for Belgium. So, so Ryan, we're coming to the end of the show now, and I have a new game to play with you. So, we're going to test your football knowledge. And this is a slightly different game to what we've been playing, because we have been playing um, Rapid Fire. You may have seen that if you get 10 questions, you have to answer as many as you can correct. But this week, we are slightly changing that, and it's called Name That Player. And the rules are pretty simple. So, basically, you guess the player's name, and I have to... I can't say the player's name or talk about football. So I've got to sort of give you... Oh, I thought Switzerland scored there. Um, so basically, I've got to give you information about this player without saying name or talking about football and you have to guess that player. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you get two minutes to, to answer. So I will get that on a timer now and we'll start when you're ready. Yeah. So two minutes on the clock, and we are starting in three, two, one. So the first player, something and the chart chocolate factory. Something and the chocolate factory. Based on a film. <laughs> a little hint. This is a player. You gotta guess the, the first name of the player. Oh something Charlie. Charlie. Yeah, that's the first name of the player. And now the second, you know, the last name of the player. 
Um, a material found underground, a building material, and it can also be used to make plant pots. So his first name's Charlie. Yeah. I've got that bit. Uh... So a building material that's found underground and can be used to make plant pots, just as one example. Pass. I'm really bad at this sort of thing. Go on. I'm sure you can get it. It's um, uh... people, let's uh, give you an example of like people normally have it on a spinner and they sort of move it around their fingers to shape it. Ari had a really good, a really good guess. If you if you can see that or not, Ryan, in the chat on the uh, screen. Is this, is this any players or is this Euro players or? It could be any player. Oh, it could be a big United that. player. Oh, Charlie Clayton. Yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I I misunderstood. I thought you meant players that are playing in the European. Oh no, sorry. I should have. I should have. Um, That's why I'm yeah, thinking. I'm pretty that. sure I can't. I was trying to think of every Charlie, and I'm thinking, is there a Charlie that's actually in the Euro? I'm wasting the time now. Aren't I? That's fair enough. So, so it could be anyone. So yeah, um, you got him right though, and you had 14 seconds remaining. So that's perfect. So second player, go. Is the first name of a previous king. And he was King the Eighth, and he was also King in 1936. What was his Henry. name? No, King Charlie Clayton was correct. Ari, yeah. Could you could you re could you rework could you redo what you said? You... Yeah. So first name of a previous king. He was King in 1936. No, it's not Henry. It's the other one. Something Eighth King. Uh, who else was it? I'm no good at history. This is a problem. Uh, so you got King Henry and you have King. King. I can move on to the second part of the name. Yeah. If, that, if that's a help. Okay. Yeah, something that del- it's going to be quite a hard one. But something that delivers parcels. It's a type of vehicle, normally white. George, no, that's wrong as well, Ari. Keep going, though. Something that delivers parcels. It's a type of vehicle. Normally white. A vehicle that's that's white. 30 seconds left. Yep. <laughs> you see him on the... You see, they don't even deliver parcels. Ari's got it. Oh, yeah, a van, but I didn't think that was a... Uh, a that's it, van. Name. No, that's, that's part of his last name. Um, and then also another part of his last name, it's, it's a complicated name for a bad observer, is the name of a car made in Finland, no longer manufactured, and it has a griffin on the logo with a crown on its head. So the two minutes are up, but we'll keep going and see if we can guess the player. So it's of course you guess. Have... Could be completely wrong. Robin Van Persie. You're not far off, I'll give you that. Uh, Think of the king. King's first name. King's first name. Van in the name. And also, it's made of a car. Name of a car. It's made in Finland. No longer manufactured. It has a Griffin on logo of crown on its head. So if, if you know cars, you know it. If not, it's uh, quite I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> keeping the cars. You've done me here, Josh. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's no chance I'm getting that. You want to give up? Yeah. Okay, so the, oh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a little clue. So the first name, so the king's name is Edmund. Edmund Van. Van, Van der Sar. There Edmund it is, Van Edwin Van der Sar. Edwin Van der Sar. Close yeah. as you can get it. I would have and never then, got Edwin. I, I can't lie to you. It was I'm the no first, it was closest thing I could get of Edwin, sort of the English version of Edwin, I think. It was yeah. the best thing. And then um, the name of the vehicle would have been Saab. And I think it was the closest thing I could get to Saar. Saabad. Van der Saab. Closest thing I can get to that one. Um, but we have the final player name. So when you're ready, we will go in three, two, one. The film is so the film is known as something pan. Something pan. A Disney film. I think the place they go is Neverland. I think. Something. The worst pan. part is I know this as well. I'm really bad at this. <laughs> you don't want me in a pub quiz. Sorry, got me. it. Um. Oh yeah, Peter. Yeah, Peter. That's it. Peter Pan. That's it, yeah. Second part of the name. Old ways. Well, I say old ways. You can still do it, but I don't see it as often. Old ways of cashing in money at a bank on normally on a piece of paper. Writing? You you have to write the numbers on it, and you also have to write the number you're um, on the piece of paper. You have to write it in letter form and in number form. And you normally have to give it in at the bank, either in the machine to the cashier. 46 seconds left. I might as well randomly guess. Peter Michael. I know it's wrong. No. No. Go on, something, um, it's a form of currency you hand into the bank to get money into your bank account. Maybe you'd get one if, you know, uh, you know, in a birthday card when your grandparents would give you something to go to the bank to cash in. I'm probably the worst at this, aren't I? <laughs> no one's played it, to be honest, so I can't really compare. But oh, It's quite easy then. for me when I'm looking in front of it, but it's quite hard. Yeah. So the time's up, but you can still, if you guess, you would have you know, one out of three right, of course, but you can still try and guess this one. You know, a form of a way of putting money into your bank that is on paper. It's obviously not notes. I'm just trying to think of a last name that would go with what you're saying. I'm just struggling. It's probably it's probably really obvious as well. It's an annoying thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it is when it's right in front of you. <laughs> um, you. You must know a, a way of, of putting money into your bank, right, on a piece of paper. Um, you know, it will be written in number form on the on the piece of paper, and it will also be written in word form. Another hint. Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one struggling here. <laughs> it's hard to give another hint. Huh? Um, what? I think, uh, you, I can't, you, you can't tell me what teams he used to play for or plays for, can you? No, that would give it away. Um, Could you not give half of the team name? If you can I'll give you. I'll give you a little clue. He's played for two Premier League clubs. That narrows it down. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, okay. two two clubs. London clubs. Two London clubs. 
think of the last name, like I said, it's an old, well, it's a sort of an old way of cashing in money at a bank on a piece of paper. And like I said, I say old, but you just don't see it as often as you used to. Is he currently playing? <laughs> no, but... All right. There's a, a no, but there's a, a um, there's a funny story within the, within the season related to him. Like could have seen him play. Peter Check. Yeah, 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 Check. Peter Check. Peter Check. Peter Check. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's not because you said Check that goes into a bank. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, then... I know, but because you said Peter, and I was thinking of Peter Check, I didn't yeah. put the two together. <laughs> Jeez, oh, of course. It's pretty hard, but like I say, when it's in front of you, it's quite easy. <laughs> not bad, though. Not bad. First attempt there, Ryan. Um, yeah. At least you got one right. I think that was quite a hard one at the start, so that was really good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see coming to the end of the podcast now. Ryan, I'd like to say thank you very much for coming on. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Josh. And of course, I hope everyone enjoyed watching episode four. Of course, we'll see episode five we'll be back next Monday. Um, we have a clip to play though. Any second coming up now for Guillaume's coffee, which is at eleven o'clock every morning. And you can actually catch that on Twitter and Instagram. So, anybody wants a coffee? No. Do you want a coffee? I make it. I'm very good making coffee. I think Guillaume's in England at the moment. I'm pretty sure that he posted he was catching a flight here. Yeah, I saw that as well. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, a few of them myself. Um, He's been making it yeah. in his um, apartment or B and B room or hotel room or something. Um, so of course, everyone catch that at eleven o'clock. And he'll see. He'll give you. I'm sure he'll be talking about the Spain result today. That was a really good result for them. And obviously, a swap of the France switched on game going on now. It's currently 3 3 and extra time. I'm sure he'll be talking about that as well. So, there'll be lots to talk about from him. Um, and we also, uh, yep, as you can see there on our screen, Clubhouse is obviously open tomorrow from 5 pm. And you'll be able to watch the England Germany games that so come down, um, bring the family, um, come have a drink and watch the game with. I mean, Tracy will be there as well. So, you can obviously have a chat to her and talk about the game and that. And obviously, we also have Top 11, our sponsors. So their game is obviously currently on iOS, Android, and PC. Um, go check that out, especially if you're into management games. Um, you can build your team, create custom tactics, um, play in the league, play in Champions League, play in the Europa League. Um, and, you know, you sort of create a bit of history of your club, which is a really fun game. Um, we actually have a series on Biggest Wage United's YouTube channel. So check that out if you haven't seen the game before. Maybe you'll be interested in that. Um, so like again, I'd like to say thank you for everyone for watching and we'll see you in episode five next Monday.